closer to you. You're quieter because you talk so much more quietly than I do. Okay. And then you always put it closer to me, and then I come Oops. off as a very loud and demanding podcasting well. partner. <laughs> Welcome to the Cold Pizza Party Podcast. My name's Lubitsa. And I'm Adam. And some snoring in the background is both of our dogs. Yep. So uh, you them, will hear that. One of them is about 100 pounds, so she snores like a person. Yeah, but the other one's a little piggy, and she snores pretty loudly, yeah. too. <laughs> uh, anyway, this is the Cold Pizza Party podcast. We talk about politics and TV, and uh, our politics were leftists, and our TV tastes are more trashy than not. Yeah. Uh, and... Uh... <laughs> Um, everything is great. We don't have any weird health problems. We've been getting a lot of sleep. Um, the house is immaculately clean. <laughs> uh, none of this is true. Okay, so... Well, should we start off with recommendations? Yeah, We've been doing that yeah. lately. Who's you can go first. Me. So I want to recommend... Um, I had a non-anime manga recommendation, but I forgot it. So I'm going to recommend a manga. Um... I've been rereading Kyoko Okazaki's River's Edge, and it's super good. Um, it Let me read a quote here from the very... It's like an end where she kind of summarizes the attitude and feel of it. Um, it sounds kind of like The Wasteland. So it's about like a few kids who are in high school. Mm-hmm. Their school is by the river, close to the river's mouth, which runs wide and slow, stagnant and smelly. The water is highly viscous, containing mud, dust, bacteria, and wastewater that flows in through sewage pipes from houses and factories. Spots where the water is stagnant and the flow has been halted completely turn a vivid green from the algae in the summertime, and only the gurgling brown bubbles rock the empty cans that are thrown into it. Their urine, menstrual fluid, and semen are probably mixed into that water. (laughs) And there's some more here. That's really good, but that kind of sums it up. Except also... A battlefield with no depth, like a movie set. They will never live through any sort of drama. They will just continue to linger in their short eternities. And it says tragedy will occur, but that's something that happens a lot. Something that can happen quite often, like tulip petals scattering. Indeed, it happens gently. Look outside the window, as everything that could happen happens. Yeah. The anime is not, or the manga is not, like, the tinge of pretension that you get from that essay. It's, like, really loose... I love the style. It's very, like, most people that review it say it looks bad. But really, it's just, like, drawn quickly. So you get, like, a really good feel from it. And I guess she was, like, a um, like a fashion designer for a while. So she has that sort of, like, you know, strong line. And, yeah, it's some kids in high school. Um, some, like, bad, dark stuff happens, but it doesn't really matter. They're very blasé. They're, her work is always, like, characters that are kind of terrible but you also kind of love Mm -hmm. um it'd be great for fans of like Taolin that are looking for a manga in my head i had i had like a better thing to say but we'll just go with that okay (laughs) i feel like i'm not doing it justice it's really good okay um i'm sure if someone's like interested in manga or anime they'll probably you know Mm. take a look at it it sounds interesting i mean it's hitting a spot that i can't get from other manga and too and even comic books like what spot is that well well, like for one thing the drawing is so loose Mm. you know it's not like it doesn't follow the same like this is what manga looks like kind of thing what i really love is there are all these like chekhov's gun situations you know Mm. where you're like oh obviously this is going to play out that way and then like nothing happens 
oh, or cool. a few things happen and then it like turns out okay or like something that you didn't expect happens that's like really bad yeah and for people that don't know what Chekhov's gun is do you wanna... it's basically when you're like watching a tv show or something or a movie and like a gun is introduced the rule mm-hmm. is it's gonna have to go off by act two uh, three or three? five or whatever yeah Four, depending yeah uh, but the point is basically that you know, like you can usually sense when something's introduced in a movie mm-hmm. or TV show that's going to ultimately yeah. like. And these kids like drift through life, and they have. That's why I mentioned talent. Like they, they have like the attitude where, like bad or weird things happen. And it's just like interesting yeah. to them. Like the, the main characters like find a dead body, but they just, like, look at it. And then go home. And sometimes they come to, like, chill there and look at it more. <laughs> and, and then, But these are, like, the kids that are, like, disaffected and they feel like they don't fit in. Yeah. And uh, then, like, yeah, I don't know. It's cool. 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 Um, okay. Well, mine is very broad, my recommendation this week. Uh, I am going to recommend Alsatian Whites. Mm. <laughs> uh, just... White wines from the Alsatian region, or Faltz, which is just across the border mm-hmm. in Germany, very similar. Uh, whether it's a Riesling that you like, or a uh, Gewürztraminer, or whatever. If you find an Alsatian, we like Cremants from yeah. Alsace. Um, they're really fucking great. Yeah, and they're my favorite. Yeah, it's, prob- it's definitely my favorite white wine. It yeah. really might be some of my all-time favorite wines come from that region Me too you can get a good wine for like 20 bucks too so like great. A, a great yeah a great one usually yeah. the bottles are like kind of like skinny and a lot of times they're like yellow or brown right. occasionally Adam you find brand. blue which is kind of weird but if you find mm-hmm. like brown or green that's that's pretty traditional yeah um they're like less tart or fruity right yeah and a lot of times they're less sweet less but they're sweet, very yeah. uh they're like fragrant still, you know, they're, mm-hmm. they're very like evocative of different fruits, I guess, yeah. like, like lychee or whatever, yeah, honeysuckle, yeah. things like that. Yeah. I feel like they're a little more gentle than some other like stronger, like uh, Sauvignon Blanc from like the Marlboro region in New mm-hmm. Zealand or something like that is it's like another cost effective goodbye. Yeah. But it's going to be like a really like citrus forward. A lot of times like grapefruit like really strong grapefruit flavor and you get some like grass in there too but like you know it's like very strong flavor it's very bold whereas like the alsatian whites are like floral but that's why i was saying like lychee or orange blossom or honeysuckle these like soft you know not even quite like an orange blossom not the orange flavor Mm -hmm. you know like um yeah they're really good uh, I'm not currently drinking as part of a cut that I'm doing. So that's so, why you're thinking about it. Yeah, I think that's part of why I'm thinking about it. But also, if you're uh, interested in, I don't know, eating healthy or just trying something different, I would also recommend, possibly paired with the uh, Alsatian White, uh, the Ina Garten butternuts, apple butternut squash soup. We haven't made it in a little while, but every time we make it, it's so dang good. Mm-hmm. It easy. always turns out it's super easy. I We actually don't use the um, uh, apple juice that's recommended in the recipe because 
you're like adding sugar. And also one time we did add it and I kind of felt like the sugar really blunted the flavor of like mm -hmm. the butternut and the apple that you're actually putting in. Um, so personally, I'd recommend skipping it. But if you're not into butternut flavor, you might appreciate maybe a little bit of a sweeter soup. I don't know. But uh, yeah, I'd also okay. recommend that. Cool. I'm surprised you didn't recommend Vampire Diaries. You've been, like, binging Vampire Diaries. <clears throat> I have, but I don't know what to think about it, really. Like, I It's kind of interesting. Yeah, I'm still, like, kind of formulating my analysis okay. of them. Maybe not, we'll talk I'm about not it ready later. to talk about it yet. Yeah. yeah. The most interesting thing to me, I told you, was that, like, so they're, like, teen vampires. Yeah. But... It's obviously a metaphor for, like, their bodies changing and growing up and becoming an adult. Yeah, but where in most shows or movies, it's, like, just a proxy. Like, their vampirism and the conflicts that arise from that are just, like, a proxy for their emotional issues. Mm -hmm. In this show, it's really just about being a vampire and the different, like, vampire <laughs> conflicts you have. Yeah, they... they... There's much more of a adventure element, I would mm -hmm. say, in this show than there is in a typical teen soap like this, whether there's a supernatural bent in it or not. There's a surprising amount of gore, too, for something that it's you'd be interested in. It's ridiculously gory, yeah. There's, like, it's, like, a lot of torture scenes and, like, torture porn that I sometimes just forward through, because, honestly, it's kind of boring after a while, because <laughs> you've seen so much of it over, like, three seasons or whatever, like, that mm -hmm. it's, like, I don't care how, like, how this vampire is going to be tortured in different ways. Like, let's just move on with the storyline. It's a little bit, yeah. like, why I don't like musicals, because... You, like, interrupt the story with a big, like, dance and song number, you know? And uh, I just feel like, okay, let's just get on with the story. Like, I don't want to see this. That's kind of how I feel sometimes about the torture <laughs> in this show after a while. It just feels yeah. like a big song and dance number. You know? Maybe after you watch this, you'll be ready to watch some scary movies with me. I don't think Maybe so. Maybe you can watch that French movie I want to see where she gets a really bad injury. And then she, like, keeps picking at the really bad injury and eating it, and oh. then she gets addicted to eating her own skin. Ew, no. Uh. <laughs> I really no. want to see that. Baby, we were just talking about this. You know that I cannot handle that. I had a burn <laughs> on my hand that, like, last year that I couldn't take care of by myself because every time I tried to, I would, like, turn, like, Mm, like pale. ghostly yeah. white yeah and get like dizzy and nauseous and be like close to passing out and have to like sit down and like have to look away from it to have adam like actually put the cream and stuff on it yeah, yeah i like legitimately cannot handle something like that <laughs> <laughs> i can't if i can't handle it on myself i definitely can't handle watching a movie that's like heightening that gore aspect no, you can of handle it, it. Ugh, no. Try. no way it's fun no so I feel like really relaxed. You might have to. Oh no, I feel that way too. I feel really <laughs> <laughs> like tired and chilled out and yeah. not. Well, we'll just see. Okay. Um, so we decided that we wanted to talk about this article this week. I guess we're kind of talking politics ish, kind of psychology, yeah, kind not, of just feelings. But it's just it's not like timely. It's just no, yeah, no. it's just political. Yeah, yeah, it's political. You're right. So it's uh, an article that came out in Jacobin uh, by, by Megan Day. Mm -hmm, and it's called Under Neoliberalism, You Can Be Your Own Tyrannical Boss. Um, and so the study op or the, the article opens up talking about a study that came out recently by Thomas Curran and Andrew Hill. In, Nobody cares who did it. Well, whatever. We should give them credit. <laughs> they did this work. 
I have actually, I can summarize it. I pulled out quotes here. Okay. If you want. Well, um, okay. I was going to just kind of bring us into it before we start. Yeah, go for it. Okay. Um, so it's in the psychological bulletin, and it basically finds that uh, perfectionism and anxiety, which are kind of tied, are on the rise in recent generations, um, and that basically, well, it says, when identifying the root cause of this growing appetite for ex- excellence, Curran and Hill don't mince words. It's neoliberalism. And I thought that was really interesting because a lot of times when I've heard people um, in our age group kind of talk about like anxiety or having heightened anxiety or even like when I see people online like criticizing millennials for being like soft snowflakes or whatever and they're always like yeah and then they always like complain about the anxiety they have I always think like yeah of course we have anxiety because like we are living in a world that's like ready to be like set on fire at any minute you know like you know we're living through climate change um we, we, like, graduated during a financial crisis. Things have not gotten better. Like, jobs are scarce. Like, people don't, like, in our age cohort, like, most people don't own a house or anything like that. Whereas, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think in our parents' time, like, they were, like, buying houses and starting families by age 30 and stuff like that. And having already paid off school. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. yeah, we have, like, crippling student loans and things like that. So... I always think, like, well, that anxiety makes perfect sense because, like, because of our, like, economic and um, political condition. But they actually talk, talk about it in a different light here that I thought was interesting. Yeah. So, so they talk of, about perfectionism. Yeah. And they talk about three different types of perfectionism. Self-oriented, which is what we colloquially, colloquially think of. Yeah. Which is like, oh, I'm a perfectionist. Yeah. I have to do everything perfect. Which... It always makes me think of the Real Housewives because there will always be at least one Real Housewife on those shows that's like, oh, I'm a perfectionist. I have to have um, my sheets ironed this specific way. And then it's like, it turns out like, no, you're not a perfectionist. You're just a bitch who's telling your like, yeah. you know, housekeeper specifically how she has to iron the sheets in order for you to be happy. That's not really... That's actually a great example of the second type of perfectionism, which is Mm other-oriented perfectionism. And that means having unrealistic expectations of others. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. Um, But the main one that the article talks about is socially prescribed perfectionism. Um, It says, according to the authors of that study, it's the most debilitating of the three dimensions that they have outlined of perfectionism. Um, it describes the feeling of paranoia and anxiety engendered by the persistent and not unfounded sensation that everyone is waiting for you to make a mistake so they can write you off forever, in Megan Day's words. Um, yeah, which, I mean, also, obviously, right away makes you think about, like, um, like call-out culture. And, yeah. Uh, what's his name that wrote that book about, like, Basically about this, about how people are, like, kind of scared to... What's his name? John Jonathan. He wrote The Psychopath Test. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what did he... What book did he write? He wrote a book about, like, that, like... Like, that woman who made the joke about, like, only... Justine Sacco. Yeah. Yeah. About, like, something like only... I'm going to Africa, hope I don't get AIDS, but, like, it's okay because I'm white. I won't only, like... 
that only happens to poor black people or yeah. something. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, yeah. Like, right there, politically, you can tell this is not, like, the wrong opinion. Yeah. she's sarcastic. Like, yeah. And she's almost, in a way, calling out her own privilege, yeah. actually. But instead, uh, you know, people, like, she lost her job. She, like, lost friends. She was, like, ridiculed. Yeah. And I think that is really, it's not a function of expecting perfectionism from other people, the second type. It's a function of socially prescribed perfectionism yeah, because yeah. you're not ganging up on her specifically because you think she's not being perfect, but right. you're ganging up to like out of this sense of the societal pressure to be perfect. So here's a time where you can say that somebody else is not right. Yeah. And I think it, it also comes from a sense of like, uh, well, like they don't talk about this here, but I think like when we look at our lives, like, we're not doing better in most cases, like I was saying, than our parents. So here's this area where it feels like we are doing better than previous generations. Like, yeah, like we accept gay people. We don't want black people to be shot by the cops. We accept trans people, whatever. I don't know. You know, mm-hmm. you can kind of keep going with like woke stuff like that. And so we want to think... limit abortion to 20 weeks. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that when you see someone like fall out of line, there's like a desire to be like no god damn it we're not gonna you know fall backward like Mm. we're gonna call you out and keep marching you know wokely forward like yeah i don't know do they outline what they think is a cause of this i don't know if they do i just i don't think they really did had a personal little theory about it uh but they do talk obviously about i think that you know I think really the drive to act that way when it comes to the socially prescribed system, um, like it says here, that's the dimension that saw the most dramatic change mm-hmm. in perfectionism that they studied, even though self-oriented and other-oriented. But like the sense of pressure that you get from the society to be perfect is what really shot up. Yeah. And I just think when you live in that society, or you like you feel that way, then you externalize that on other people. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, I mean, they also mention, obviously, like they said, the cause being, I guess, mainly neoliberalism and closely tied to that meritocracy, right? This idea right, right, right. that... So, you know, in and if you think about it, like, they studied people, I think, from born, like, 1989 yeah, onward. 89. In, uh, like, Canada, the U.S. yeah. So that's, like, I mean, that's when you have, like, the new Democrats, you know, coming to power and really trying to, you know, create a society based on market-based solutions or whatever. equality of opportunity instead of equality of outcomes. Yeah. So that means we all can achieve what we want. But but you have to constantly... Yeah. And if you fall, there's not necessarily anybody there to catch you. There's not necessarily a foundation to stand on. Yeah, so you're constantly in competition with other people for those outcomes basically Mm -hmm. right you know if the outcomes aren't guaranteed and you just have the opportunity then you have to bring someone else down to get to that next spot you know that you're trying to like get to like and if you feel yeah if you feel the expectation to work that hard you're gonna get angry at other people who are not working as hard even if it's not to directly benefit yourself just out of a feeling that you know they're not doing what i'm supposed to do even though i don't want to do it i do it anyway so I get mad when other people don't do it. Yeah, I mean, interestingly to me, like, the most heightened example of this is, is, like, watching Terrace House, right? Like, we've talked about that before. 
a little bit on the show about how, mm-hmm. like, in order, like, even just to say, like, hello or goodbye. Terrace House is a Japanese reality show. Yeah. If, if you didn't hear us. If you didn't hear a previous episode, yeah. And it's like strangers living together. Yeah, six strangers, three boys, three girls. But instead of partying. Yeah, they're really focused on, like, their dreams and working hard. And, like, when they come into the house or, like, leave, like, they say stuff like, did you work hard today or, like, work hard today? Like, that's like a greeting and a salutation, like, and a way to say goodbye. Like, But more importantly... We were just watching an episode where one of them, like, performed, did it like a musical performance. So she's, like, achieving something in her career. And then they, like, got dinner afterwards, all the people who, like, live in the house. And they were talking about it. And they are like, oh, yeah, I was so happy for you. But then it made me think I need to be going out and, like, making moves to do the Mm -hmm. things that I want to do in my career. And then another guy said, who's, like, a photographer, was like, yeah, I called, like, the uh, art gallery after your like song was over yeah. and told them like let's move on my yeah. show and so stuff. they couldn't just enjoy her performance or be happy for her they like immediately had these negative feelings about themselves when they saw her succeeding yeah was, and 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 almost like they're in competition like they started making moves to also move forward in their careers mm-hmm. like immediately because it's even though they're not in direct competition with each other there's still this just heightened sense that you're yeah. constantly in competition with the people around it's you. It's almost like competition isn't the right word because, yeah, they're not directly in competition, like you say, and they're very supportive of each other. Yeah. But there's still a sense, and it's not, you can't call it, like, cooperative or collaborative because they do different things. They all, like, have different dreams, goals, industries. Yeah. So they're definitely not working but they together. Act, but they they're still, working independently, it doesn't matter, though. That's together. the whole point, is that... It's not that you are actually in direct competition with the people around you. Most people actually aren't in competition with Mm -hmm. the direct people around them, right? Like, even the people that you work with, like, they usually have different positions in your office than you do. It doesn't mean you're, like, actually, like, in direct, direct competition with them. But you still constantly have that sense. That's part of what forces you to feel the need to work later or show up earlier than other people because that's how you get ahead. That's how, like, because you're still in... You don't have to be in direct competition to still feel like you ha- are in competition with people. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it's that's like kind of a pointless distinction because mm, there's, a, yeah, well, the whole society is geared yeah. to make you feel like you're in competition with other people. Yeah. There's almost like a weird inverse effect where, like, if I'm interviewing for jobs in, you know, tech, I basically have to act in the interview. Like, Oh, tech man. is my life. It's my life. Yeah. It's all I care about. In my free time, I like learn more. Um, I, the amount of like cis admins I've seen online say like, "Oh, I always sleep with, like, by the bed. I have two or three books about whatever Python or servers mm-hmm. or whatever." And it's like, just re- just relax. Like, yeah. read an enjoyable book before bed. Yeah, I can't imagine sitting down before bed and like trying to do that. But anyway, but like. So there's a sense that you have to perform so hard just to be a part of the community. Yeah. Like, not even to differentiate yourself from them, but just to keep up. Definitely. Yeah. Because you have the sense that everybody else is doing it, too, even though nobody wants to do do it this way. I definitely agree. Like, so I belong to, like, this private fitness group online as part of this, like, bigger fitness thing that I do. Mm -hmm. And so, so... Part of it is, like, there's a workout guide that we're all kind of, like, following. Well, there's, like, different ones, but we're all kind of in the same boat, I guess. 
And a lot of times, like, some um, girl will post, like, her body transformation or her booty gains or the back muscles that she's developed recently or whatever. And you can always see, like, a lot of people will, like, like the post or whatever, but then there's always someone who, like, can't just be, like, happy for this person because they're, like, uh, like, that makes me realize, like, I'm not doing enough. Like, I need to you know, be, I have, my eating's been off lately, or I haven't been going to the gym enough, or whatever. Um, but this one, like, in particular caught my attention, because I think it's, like, really reasonable, but it also, okay, so this person will remain anonymous, but, <laughs> and I, I'm sure she's listening, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but she says, hi, is it just me, or does anyone else struggle with how the guide is set up? It's a great guy, don't get me wrong, but I feel it's more suitable for a person who's not working full-time. I have, regardless of tiredness and stress, forced myself to the gym according to the guide. However, I now end up completely burned out. My whole body is in pain, uh, not DOMS, uh, which is delayed onset muscle syndrome, syndrome, I guess. It's basically like when you're really, really sore. So not doms, uh, but actual pain in my lower back, abductors everywhere. I don't know if anybody else feels the same way, but I'm mentally and physically destroyed. So then the guy who's like the coach who's like kind of helped create this guide was like, how far into the guide are you? Why don't you PM me? Okay, and I'll help you figure something out. I myself, or I'm self-employed, work over 65 hours a week, a mixture of face-to-face and online. I train Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and I force myself to only cardio Saturday and Sunday. Wednesday is a chill day (laughs) where I meditate normally and move as little as possible. Oh, God. Meditation is the best example. Yeah, I mean, even on the one day that he's supposed to be, like, relaxing, it's like a relaxation that is, like, meant... it's It's like an investment, you know? It's, like, meant to make you better later you know it's not just like sitting down and watching the vampire diaries Mm -hmm. or whatever and like just being stupid for a while like it's like everything is like a a self-investment self-improvement thing you know yeah and all of that stuff i mean to be fair like he's like a fitness coach and shit like that so like i understand he like needs to work out and you know he is self-employed so he needs to like look good in order for his like brand to like work or whatever but i just also think it's so crazy like that people feel the because of like my brand and stuff like that's like everything that i do has to be an investment in myself and like like when is when's the time that you like spend with other people even you know yeah meditation is the best example because it's like the fact that it's like such a fad now at least on the west coast yeah that you have to like do this training and actively work to learn to relax and be at home in your own body. Yeah. Like, not that meditation can't be helpful. I'm sure it can. But, like, the the people who already are consuming their lives with work have now just taken the same approach towards relaxation. Yeah. It's just finding something new to work at and get better at. And then they think, once I'm really good at that, I'll be able to relax. Yeah. It's so weird. Also, to pill like pilfer right to from like eastern culture i know (laughs) i know but yeah it's just it's one of those things like 
where kind of what we were talking about, where it's like everyone you're even though he like he's self employed and stuff, he's not in direct competition with anybody else. Right. And yet he's constantly like uh, you know, working. It reminds me of that Black Mirror where they're constantly cycling, you know, yeah, to get yeah. like the little points so that they can like relax for a little bit. Yeah, basically, that's my favorite episode. Yeah, too. but it's like he's constantly like just doing something to like get to the next level to you know improve a little more to I don't know whatever it is that it, it, I mean ultimately obviously like you're the real you know, you're really in competition with yourself, I guess, and you're your own worst enemy. That's why I guess the article is entitled You Can Be Your Own Tyrannical Boss because you're the one putting that on yourself, but you live in a society that makes you feel like that's totally normal. So, Um, Actually, in Terrace House, the new season, where they're in, like, the woods, that one character who's a snowboarder said, um, he was giving advice to, like, the 19-year-old, 20-year-old girl, maybe 21 because she's graduating college, She's like, I don't know what to do, what I want to do with my life. Yeah. I've tried modeling, but I don't even know I'm really into it, and I don't know how to go about doing it. And he said, I think if you just give 80%, you'll be fine. Just always give 80%. Yeah. I think that's (laughs) a really good life philosophy. Yeah. Oh, he said that, like, I mean, with everything, if you give 100% all the time, you'll burn out. Yeah. But if you give 80%, you'll be fine. Just like even with drinking, just give 80%. I just think that's such a perfect philosophy. And especially when he mentions drinking, it's like, oh, we do everything wrong in America. Because we give to drinking 100%. When we're drinking, we're drinking. Yeah, it's so funny when you hear other cultures talk about like australians will be like oh we drink the most or brits will be like oh we drink so much or yeah. whatever like we were watching a little bit of that jack whitehall special and he was like in america children leave cookies and milk for santa claus but right. we brits that drink so much we leave sherry for santa claus and it's like no my dude like mm-hmm. i've been to the uk <laughs> like I, we've been to france we've been to belgium which obviously is supposed to be a big drinking capital and we visited we, your cousins in australia yeah in sydney and they close the bars I at know. like 10.30. <laughs> no. It's like, no, 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 no. You guys do not know what heavy, heavy, even Hong Kong where they're like, or uh, Reykjavik where mm-hmm. you can, uh, the bars are open to like seven in the morning on the weekend. Like yeah. you can drink till like six in the morning or something like that. Like, And, and people do. And people do. In Reykjavik. Yeah, but, but people weren't like, like blackout drunk no. the way that. Like, people are by, like, 12 11, on a Friday night here. Yeah. Like. I mean, we live in, like, a college town, and, like, I don't even like for us to be driving around on Friday mm-hmm. or Saturday night because there's just so many drunk kids driving around that it's, like, scary. Like, but, yeah, so, yeah, we we in America definitely give 100% to everything, including drinking. And, yeah, it's, it's not ideal. So I was thinking... Something that might be related, hopefully. Okay. Um, remember when I told you about that anthropologist that was on the Zero Books podcast? And he was talking about symbolic kinship and how being part of a tribe didn't just mean being part of this family, but you have these like rituals and customs that make your, you know, small tribe a community. Um, well, I, I was thinking about that at the same time that I was thinking about some of this, uh, like, music that I was listening to that comes out of Japan, and it's, like, really singular. Like, it's not really comparable 
to other music like they call it psychedelic but they have like a completely different conception of of what that means and Mm -hmm. there's like a handful of bands you know like the guy from acid mother's temple who like are in a bunch of different bands together and they always play at the same club and stuff and i think they and it it blends like free jazz with like psychedelic rock and noise and lo-fi sound and like free improvisation as like a rock group and i don't think that really came into being anywhere else when i listen to american bands who try to do that they mostly suck Mm. and i think it's just because it's a small country it's a small community so like maybe they just had this kinship just by virtue of being there together in this small scene Mm -hmm. right and i was thinking that we kind of have the opposite here in america like um especially when it comes to music scenes and shit like there's a need to earn symbolic kinship by getting on Mm. the stage and proving look how good i am at this right and i'm like i'm one of you i'm equal to you yeah yeah even though there is no group that decides who's in it or who's not right we're all just these individuals that are trying to um like form these kinship networks and tribes and like there's no real gatekeeper but what holds you back is like whether you can identify yourself with that or not so to prove it to yourself, you have to excel. Yeah. And only when you can prove to yourself that you're excelling can you, like, feel like you're part of things. Yeah, so. I've told you before about um, how, like, even Tom Hanks has talked about, like, having imposter syndrome, where he thinks, yeah. like, at any moment everyone's going to realize he's a terrible actor and, like, you know, take away all his awards and shit yeah. and be like, why do we ever think I think that's because good? we're overly individualistic. Like, yeah. you don't feel like you belong anywhere unless you earn it through, like, your merit. Yeah. Yeah. Even when it comes to just being creative. And obviously that's like deeply anxiety producing. (laughs) Yeah. And I was thinking about this in regards to being on the left too. Like, uh, um, I have my notes here. What did I write? I wrote, if I'm describing myself and I don't like it for one thing. (laughs) Like I feel like when I'm writing or making music or Mm. so to let, actually I don't feel this way about my job. I just feel like I just go to my job to make money and come (laughs) home. I have the right approach there. But like, I feel like um, I just have to do something really good, and yeah. then you know, I'll like I'll like be worthy of people listening to me or something. But um, I think it's the same with being on the left. Like you have to. It's like uh, I wrote something pretentious here. It's the symbolic kinship of the tribe reduced entirely to the symbolic realm. But my point is is just like. Uh, once you can successfully signify to that to others yeah. who are themselves constantly unsure of their own status that you're a member of the in group, then it becomes real. Yeah. And now there is a group, and you're a part of it. And I think that's part of the call out culture. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, policing is a huge part of you know group forming. Yeah. Yeah, like policing boundaries, like to be like, oh, you're not one of us. Like you, we thought you were, but then you said that one thing, and now we know that you're not. You know. Yeah. We can't go back. And that's just that, like, creep of individualism into every aspect of life. Yeah. And neoliberal competition, like Megan Day says in the article. Yeah. You know, uh, I, oh. well, I was going to say, like, I was listening to an old Dead Pundit Society where he's talking to somebody about corporate structure mm-hmm. and uh, how corporate structure has changed. Mm-hmm. And now, like, since the 80s... Um, we used to, like, a lot of times we'll say, if we want to be critical of, excuse me, excuse me, 
a lot of times we'll say if we want to be critical of the economy that we have that like well there's too much monopoly power mm-hmm. right there's the, these companies are too big um so there's no real competition and you can say that as a libertarian or as like a progressive yeah but what's really happened is that competition has moved with moved into the corporation so a company as big as ge right has fucking dozens yeah. of different departments that have nothing to do with each other yeah but they have to compete with each other to get you know a share of research and development or profits or whatever yeah so competition has moved from outside of the firm into mm. it yeah and uh I think the same thing has happened in our lives on some level. Um, and my, I was going to say, maybe like, obviously one reason that being like in a band or playing guitar is less cool now is because people just got exhausted of it. Yeah. You know, after all this indie rock boom and whatnot. Yeah. But I think also it, it just goes along with this logic that what's cool now is to like make electronic music by yourself. Yeah. Or even a lot of the bands that are more indie and lo-fi are kind of like solo projects like felix from uh told slant who was in we saw him drum for uh eskimo and stuff yeah or um even uh, or Attica, tori moi right yeah it's like just a project he did in his bedroom like. yeah so like this neoliberal <laughs> individual meritocracy has is really like spreading itself out into our yeah lives. i mean they in the article they cite it says they cite data showing that young people today are less interested in engaging in group activities for fun, attending instead to individual endeavors that make them feel productive or fill them with a sense of achievement. When the world mm-hmm. is demanding that you prove yourself worthy at every turn and you can't shake the suspicion that the respect your the respect of your peers is highly conditional, hanging out with friends can seem less compelling than staying in to meticulously curate your social media profiles. But, I mean, I think that goes right along with what you're saying, right? Like, instead of uh, being in a band is, like, something you do socially for fun. Yeah. And if you're worried that your other band, if you, I don't know, play a riff or whatever, that you know, your other bandmates are going to be like, oh, that's fucking stupid. <laughs> you suck. You shouldn't even be in our band and yeah. stuff like that. You're a lot less likely to want to engage in that or put yourself out there in that way. And instead, yeah. staying in your, in at home, you know, in your bedroom doing electronic music by yourself feels a lot like safer and it feels productive and yeah. it makes you feel like this is a good use of my time instead of and you, you know. do have a product at the end of the day you have this file that's saved that you can just press play and it'll play on its own yeah but when you're in a band like you have to play together you have to get together in the same room and make the song happen when you like you're all there yeah 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 which is also goes to another point of the article which is that this Ultimately, this um, type of alienation, this anxiety um, that's cr- produced in our current, you know, uh, climate, is really bad for solidarity building. Yeah. Right. Um, because that's like the one thing that would help us overcome it, and yet it's like the hardest thing to do when you don't want to be around other people because you're scared that they're gonna call you out or think you're stupid or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. Or that you'll do it to yourself. What do you mean? I feel like that's the real danger. I don't think people get together in rooms and are constantly judging each other. I think we judge ourselves because we want to be worthy of being in the group. That's true, but I think there is definitely an aspect of people judging other people. You know, probably, especially like when you're. I'm not good at picking up on stuff like that, honestly. Yeah, you'll. Well, I've like done a fair amount of like facilitation and. 
group (laughs) meetings and whatever and it's like there's always someone passively aggressively but also very making it very clear that they don't like what someone else did and the Mm. you know like like maybe there should be a rule against it or whatever and it's like okay relax you know (laughs) but uh yeah, there's definitely, like, I mean, part of this is that they're not wrong, right? That the, the people that are a little younger than us that they talk to here are not wrong that they are being yeah. judged. I think um, one strong piece of evidence here is that she talks about how perfectionism is highly correlated with anxiety and disorders, depression, yeah. and suicidal thoughts. And uh, she says the constant compulsion to be perfect and the inevitable impossibility of that exacerbate uh, mental illness symptoms even young people without diagnosable mental illnesses tend to feel bad more often since heightened other oriented perfectionism creates a group climate of hostility suspicion and dismissiveness and yeah okay i'm just you know i'm going on and on but like Mm -hmm. uh i think that's proof because so many people talk about having those feelings yeah that i think that makes a strong case for the other effects of perfectionism that we're talking about actually existing and affecting people. Yeah. Yeah. Not just like, oh, we're just, you know, talking about how neoliberalism is ruining everything and that that's bullshit. But like, actually, I think that serves as evidence that is true. Yeah. I mean, Cause that's I, a concrete thing you can see. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and like even that fitness group that I belong to, like the number of times that, you know, there are girls who, talk about their anxiety like overwhelming them to the point where they don't want to even set foot in the gym because they're scared that everyone's going to judge them and think that they're stupid and that they don't know how to work out or they like literally will post that they just like left the gym in tears because they felt like they didn't know what they were doing or somebody told them that they had bad form or something and they like left in the middle of a workout and stuff like like I mean for me that's really hard to imagine because you're a perfectionist you have to finish it (laughs) that's actually true like (laughs) that's very true like yesterday i was like pushing it it was like the gym was like closing i was like hold on i'm almost done like please (laughs) (laughs) but uh no i think like uh we're lucky that we're a little bit older um and that even though we are growing up in this climate I think we we were able to get our bearings in a little earlier, maybe, or I don't know, maybe just because, like, for me personally, like, I started lifting as part of, like, high school lacrosse training, so I was, like, lifting in a community, like, at my high school, like, where I knew everybody, and, like, it didn't feel... You weren't just an individual. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, true. Yeah. You had an actual, you know, kinship network. Yeah, I had my, like, lacrosse team. We're all lifting together, and Mm -hmm. then it's also in the high school weight room so like yeah Yeah. um so maybe just because like I started out like that way like to me being in the gym isn't and like lifting isn't particularly intimidating and I also just assume that no one's paying attention to what I'm doing anyway which is true yeah but although you have come home and criticized other people's form to me yeah for sure because I'm an (laughs) asshole but (laughs) but I don't do it to them to their face no and if Um, you did you would be nice and helpful but what I have noticed is now like as an adult not being part of like a you know small community at my high school or like in college at the at the college gym I've had more like creepy incidents of like noticing that someone is like maybe like staring too much or being too friendly or whatever things like that that it is it it does i 
do think that that stuff is heightened because it is an atomized environment yeah. where like it's like we're all strangers passing by each other and Definitely. like you know i think that's a really different situation and i think that is probably what the maybe some of those girls are reacting to in terms of their like heightened anxiety is that you know they feel like one they need to be perfect when they go to yeah. the gym and then in addition to that feeling like you're the only person at the gym the like the number of times that other girls have recommended to go to the gym with a buddy to combat these feelings of anxiety is like that alone tells you that like a big part of it is that you know you're just this single individual obsessed with your own perfectionism and that's what's like hindering you from actually being able to do an activity you're interested in enough to be a member of a private facebook group <laughs> you know yeah so yeah. yeah well i can say oh okay. kind of along those lines i mean this is just about like self-oriented perfectionism so it's not really the point of what we're talking about but well. i found that like uh the only way i can get over that when i'm you know writing or making music is that i had to come up with ways to force myself to like be finished or to start mm. so like now when i'm making music i just improvise because i can't go back and fix everything or work on it constantly to try and make it better and i've basically done the same with writing yeah yeah and if i didn't do that i mean i still spend too long editing and revising but forcing myself to just you know go with the flow i guess mm -hmm really helps yeah yeah i mean i think that if we like think about it we all have examples in our lives where you know we want perfectionism and also examples where it definitely like gets in the way like whether that's like being social and having anxiety about what people thought of you yeah you know while you were hanging out or whatever or you know wanting to yeah like make really good music or go work out or whatever it can be a good driving force obviously but it's i think the thing that makes this article particularly interesting to me is that there's so many times that we like blame ourselves individually for um overthinking things or uh not being strong enough to get through that gym session or not being disciplined enough to stop yourself from revising incessantly or whatever it is uh, but then you look at an article like this, or you listen to Dr. Harriet Farad on um, <laughs> economic update, mm -hmm. and uh, you realize that all these things that we feel like we are, you know, have shortcomings as individuals are actually these like systemic things that are culture wide that people are suffering through and that are basically the result of a system that is built to. Yeah, yeah. you know care about profits over people it serves private property over like people so it's not a surprise that uh, it's not a system that works for us and that when we try to force ourselves into it we're gonna come up short and then here are all the different ways sort of that we tell ourselves that we're the ones that are at fault mm. and we're the ones that are yeah and i've definitely wrong. i haven't we heard people say based on studies that they've done or whatever that um if you blame yourself you're like less likely to succeed or get over it whatever the problem is but if you blame society you're more emotionally able to cope with it mm, if you blame yeah. external factors yeah for sure yeah well, and, but whereas we have a society that's geared the opposite way yeah and it makes sense that that uh sucks because instead we have a society that is geared towards justifying every success and every failure 
um, individual as an individual yeah. problem. Yeah. Yeah. So Jeff Bezos can convince himself that he's like the greatest fucking shit on this yeah. planet because when he started his company, he didn't buy a fancy desk. He had a door with legs on it, and that okay. was his desk. Okay. That's a true story. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, because uh, he was such a smart, careful businessman. And man, he drove whatever. an old Volvo. Yeah. He didn't buy a fancy car. Yeah, because he was stingy. Yeah. <laughs> Great values. Yeah. That you know he was able to succeed. Never mind like that. He probably had like rich parents, or yep. you know, got a public education, or drove on the roads, or. The fact that now that he's been able to like capture government, Amazon can grow ever yeah. bigger because of the yeah. many, many different ways that government bends over backwards to support yeah. them. Or maybe you just got lucky. You were yeah, in the right place at the right time. Yeah, of like, course. You were good at computers at the right time when not a lot of competition was out yeah. there. Yeah. Unfortunately, the flip side of this, too, which is a lot worse, is that when people get laid off, especially during an economic downturn, mm-hmm we have a jump in suicide rates because people individually blame blame themselves. And Mm -hmm. I think that if we had a more, you know, well-rounded, more holistic look at what's going on, or or we're able to do that as a society more, people might realize like, hey, I'm not the only one that got laid off. This isn't my fault, you know, like, I don't have to like take this entire burden on myself. I disagree because I think um, when the government taxes you, they're just trying to pay it on you for your success. Mm, They're just trying to steal from you and give to people who don't deserve it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. So, yeah, so that's why I really wanted to talk about this article because I just always find it interesting when um, there's something like this, like the anxiety thing, like I said, I thought maybe that was, like, generational because, like, we all have, like, crippling debt and we're living through climate change and stuff. Seems like it is. Well, I think it is, but it's not just the external... Like, those are, like... It's not because we're special snowflakes who got too many trophies. No, it's more but, the opposite. No, no, but it's those are like the conditions I'm talking about are these like external conditions that like like material. We could be living in a different uh, system. Like we could be living in a socialist country, and climate change could still be an issue, right? Right. right. Like so, it it's not that that's the problem really. The problem is more the system that we're living in that's actually creating this anxiety within us at a much greater rate or greater impact, I should say, than uh, just that climate change is happening around us or that we're worried that, like, you know, we're not going to be able to retire at a reasonable age or whatever um, the other conditions are of our lives that stress us out, you know. And other generations grew up under uh, maybe not as heightened but similar capitalist system and you know apparently didn't have the same rates of perfectionism and anxiety and eating disorders and things like that so i think that that's like a sign that you know it's not just that we're in a capitalist system or even just that we're climate i don't know the end of days or whatever it's it's this specific version of capitalism this neoliberal version that is like rolling crises and you know market-based solutions and Um, endless competition and we're all nodes in a network connected by edges yeah and there's like nudges to have you know outcome what like what i don't know there's so many stupid market-based ideas Mm -hmm. that are supposed to like help incentives 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 yes that's what i was thinking of yeah 
nudges and incentives and shit like that that are supposed to like help yeah. governors and help us like yeah. lead our better lives more I productive know, like, lives as if the problem is that there aren't enough incentives to be rich and successful yeah or to be well educated yeah yeah the, the problem with our society is that we don't make sure people want to be successful yeah. or smart or rich yeah so it's like i think this iteration in particular is like particularly vile and awful and uh it's just interesting to note (laughs) yeah how can i bring this back to river's edge my manga that i was recommending i don't know (laughs) yeah they're kind of characters that are suffering under um well it was kind of a different time a time of the boom but with the same sort of atomistic individual problems you know like characters that don't know what to want or they don't enjoy wanting the things they're supposed to want yeah um and they're all individual you know atomized they have secrets um well that makes me one think of them of has bulimia summer house like they work high stress manhattan jobs and then they drive like six hours round trip every weekend just to go to the hamptons hamptons yeah. and live crazy. eight people in a summer ha- house is yeah house that uh has like six rooms and it's a bravo reality show yeah and it's like they're i feel like they're just doing that because you're supposed to want to do that if you live mm-hmm. in new york you're supposed to go to the hamptons that's what rich successful people are right. supposed to do but these oh it's a people, sign of success so if i do it i'll signify to people that i'm successful yeah but they don't they're not making you know wages have stagnated and shit like mm-hmm. that like and there's enormous inequality in this country so just because like people in the 90s that had your job were able to go afford to vacation in the hamptons all summer doesn't mean that you can you know just like we can't buy like in the rest of the country like homes by the time our parents could or whatever and you're putting yourself in like an emotionally unhealthy situation surrounded by cameras yeah you know (laughs) because but even if it's not cameras like they've said in the past that they had as many as like 20 people in a house that's an emotionally yeah. unhealthy situation. That's like, that's just too much. Like, I, yeah. as an adult, I don't ever want to be surrounded by that many people all the but time. But what would make you consent to be on reality TV? Like, especially in a situation like this where the whole point is to well, drink as much success, as possible. Well, you yeah, want success. You want fame. You you're want seeing, money. You're seeing, like, it's attention. It's a way to get a leg up in your, like, I job. Think, I think you're seeing attention as a metric of success. Yeah. And, but... But you're, like, damaging yourself to get it. Yeah, but also, like, some of them, like, one of them is, like, a, I don't know, PR person. The other one's, like, trying to launch an app or something. Like, (laughs) he's, like, an investor or whatever. So they're, like, yeah, this is, like, brand awareness. See, I'm, like, investing in myself by getting wasted and consenting to let Bravo film Mm -hmm. me and my girlfriend having sex. (laughs) Yeah. Why do they want such weirdly particular things, too? It's not enough to what I want to be a model. I want to be an actor. I'm a musician. They have to, like, I want to launch an app. I want my own brand. I am a brand. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. they are. In the first scene, one of them was wearing a jacket that said, like, Hub. And then her, her, like, last name is Hubbard or whatever. And her... PR firm is called, like... Yeah, it's, like, called, like, Hub House or something. So she was, like, wearing her brand, literally, in the Mm -hmm. first scene. Like, to be like, hey, brand awareness, guys. Like... Yeah. This is I mean, me. I'm a brand. The snowboarder who talks about doing 80% in Terrace House also has a brand. Yeah. And he wears it and makes it part of the show. But he doesn't talk about living his brand or it being, like, an extension of his personality. Yeah. But, like, colloquially, like, a different character on Terrace House who... Or Terrace House on Summer House who just sells dental equipment was talking about 
like a catchphrase he's saying that's pissing oh, everybody yeah. off and he's like that's my brand yeah, yeah. he's like no stress more life <laughs> yeah <laughs> he's like, like that's my terrible brand terrible catchphrase yeah. yeah yeah it's like you're in dental sales what are you talking about <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so anyway, let's uh, wrap it up there. We don't have yeah. to be too, too long all the time. Or perfectionist. Yeah, true. We try not to be. We try to be pretty loose. Yeah. I like that. We're trying to, you know, counter the culture. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> We're just trying to live our own lives, man. <laughs> but yeah, so hopefully uh, you enjoyed this episode and it'll help reduce some of your anxiety and another yeah. way to reduce it is by eating a hot bowl of Garten soup with your <laughs> Gewürztraminer from mm-hmm. Alsace. <laughs> yeah. Also, if you think it wasn't, you know, this wasn't one of their best episodes, use that as like a symbol, right? Like, we did it. We put it out there. It doesn't have to be the best. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, don't be a judgmental asshole, okay? Don't <laughs> don't contribute to and, uh, and those feelings of being judged by others that people And don't have. direct those feelings at yourself. Yeah, that's the most. That's the hardest really. part. Yeah. yeah, that's the real problem. Yeah, yeah. So uh, let's do some brand building now. Okay. Uh, you can find us <laughs> on iTunes and SoundCloud at Cold Pizza Party. Also on Facebook and Twitter at Cold Pizza Party. Do we do anything else? No, that's know. pretty much it. You can write a review if you want. Oh yeah, if write you happen a to be like writing reviews. Yeah, we have slip like us in there. all five stars, but I think we only have like five reviews. Oh, so that's pretty good on iTunes. Yeah, well. Get so, us up to nine. Yeah, we're yeah. aiming for nine. Yeah. <laughs> we're trying to do. We're trying Very to do forty percent. Eighty percent is too much for us. We're yeah. gonna aim for forty percent. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, if that helps, like, have us have consistency at least. That's good. Um, <laughs> yeah, like this podcast, we were doing good. We did one, and then a week later, we did one, and now it's like nine days later. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe we should be like on a nine-day schedule. Oh, we Every might nine be. Days, we might out. be. Um, honestly, a big part of it depends on my workout schedule, because mm. if I have to work out that day, then I'm usually too tired to podcast yeah. afterwards. And my work schedule, too. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to work late, come home, and, like... Do brand building work. Yeah. 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 Totally. We like doing this podcast. We're not going to make it... A job. You know, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, write some reviews or whatever. You can find Adam at Bone Camaro on Twitter. He's still at Bone Camaro. That's true, yeah. Not like a bone, not like a place you bone, yeah. but like... <laughs> like a lyric from yeah. a cool song. Yeah. yeah. And if you're not cool enough to know what song... Like a car made out of you bones. you suck it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so that's it for now. And we hope you enjoyed it. And cool. we need to go eat. So goodbye. Bye. You should have seen